Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. It is Monday, beautiful Monday here in uh, the Austin, Texas area. It is the, we we keep going talking about you know the what the date because many of you do listen to this on a downloaded basis. In fact, I think we may be one of the most popular uh, apps for mortgage professionals at the gym. I have more comments coming in from uh, people that listen to the broadcast that download it and listen to it or listen to it streaming in the gym uh, when they're working out. Now, that's obviously after the fact because everyone's at their desk. Now, today is Columbus Day, so happy Columbus Day to all of you. So it's a holiday. Many of our uh, mortgage professionals are taking the day off. We wish you a happy Columbus Day. Hope you're enjoying the day. Uh, we're excited about this broadcast today because we're as we get close to wrapping up this year. I mean, you know, we're just still in October, heading out, but we really start looking at what do we anticipate in the fourth quarter. We start looking at what do we anticipate for what the next year looks like for the rest of this year. And we're really honored to have Mark Fleming, who's the chief economist for First American Financial, uh, joining us to talk about housing, his perspective on the market. I ran into uh, Mark recently at the Catalyst event, and, and he says, you know, yeah, Fred, Tony on, you got to have me on. I jumped at the opportunity. Mark and I have been on Fox together uh, several times, being interviewed on topics related to what's going on with housing and interest rates and the like. And it's always an honor to be on with him and to 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 get to know really smart guys like Mark. He's got a Ph.D. in um, in this, and uh, it's, and this really stays up on top of it. But better yet, he is just one heck of a great guy and a really decent human being and someone I have really uh, considered an honor and privilege to have come to know. So be sure to stay tuned all the way to the Hot Topics segment as we listen to Mark Fleming, Chief Economist for First American Financials, comments about what's going on with everything in the marketplace and also, I just want to say this this broadcast is again podcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Award. Real honor. I want to say a special thank you uh, to our sponsor, United Guarantee. Uh, they have been the most successful number one uh, MI company for the past four years. Uh, United Guarantee recently announced that it has initiated a disaster policy and work will work with lenders and servicers to provide flexibility for borrowers in the declared disaster areas uh, that were there in, in the South Carolina with all the rain that they've had. And for those that have encountered the severe property damage and, and, and really have had interrupt, interruptions to employment. So Brian Gould, who is the chief operating officer for United Guarantee, recently said that with this action, our policy, master policyholders have latitude in servicing borrowers recovering from the impact of the storms in the declared disaster areas. So uh, real kudos out to the way United Guarantee handles it. The way they do their business is uh, go about their business. It's very clear why they are number one, and we're proud to have them 
as a sponsor here on the broadcast. Also, I want to say thank you to Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant, Velma.com. Velma, again, stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. It's a great program for getting the word out about your products and services out to your customer base. They have a set it and forget it auto campaign, as well as they can create custom campaigns on the fly. And that's what we do with them all the time, because it seems everything we're doing here on this live radio broadcast seems to be on the fly and constantly fluid and moving. But anyway, it's the easiest, it's the nation's easiest, most affordable marketing platform. I encourage you to check it out, Velma.com. Special thank you to our newest sponsor, Motivity Solutions, who is uh, just recently started as being our sponsor. Uh, we're excited to be looking forward to the uh, commentaries from there. We're going to be getting regular reports from Tyler Sherman, who he and his brother founded the company. But it's the nation's leading business intelligence technology and providing reporting as well as dashboards and scoreboards. It is for mortgage lenders, and you have a real-time, intelligent way of looking at what's going on in your business through analytics it is such a powerful tool. I encourage you to check it out at www.motivitysolutions.com. So go to motivitysolutions.com, check it out, or call them at 303-721-9000. Well, it's the holidays, and Joe Farr is off, I looks like, enjoying the holidays. I'm looking at the switchboard. I do not see that he dialed in today, but uh, we miss having Joe here. But I'm, I'm going to run through the economic calendar real quickly, what we have. No economic data today. Again, the markets are closed because of Columbus Day. But um, no economic data tomorrow either. But we also have the producer price index as well as retail sales, core, core PPI, producer price index, as well as r- retail sales, excluding auto sales. And then, of course, we always talk about retail sales. Already talked about that. That includes auto sales. Then we also have the Fed Beige Book. Always look forward to hearing some insights. We have a number of Fed governors, one speaking today, another one speaking tomorrow. I'm not sure. I had those announcements up, and I, I, I closed those out. But we pay attention to what the Fed governors say, and we're going to be looking forward to Mark Fleming's commentary. Should we believe these guys when they say they're going to be raising interest rates, or is that just – are they getting all the effect by just saying that they're going to be doing that? That's the big question. I can't wait to get Mark's commentary on that Uh, it seems like they're being fairly effective just talking about it but not doing it so will they kick the can down the road do they need to maintain uh, the fed image by doing something a token something a quarter point increase i don't know let's find out what mark has to say in the hot topic segment anyway wednesday at 2 p.m the fed beige book comes out then on thursday we have cpi uh, consumer price index, big indicator of inflation. Not likely. It's expected to come in at a negative two-tenths of 1%. We have the M- New York Empire State Index, the core CPI, as well as the Philadelphia Fed Index. Philadelphia Fed Index. That's where Mark was originally from. Mark Fleming, our special guest, is from that area originally. And then on Friday, we have the industrial production number as well as consumer sentiment. And then, of course, the very important JOLTS report. JOLTS stands for the Job Opening and Labor Turnover Survey. Very good information. Check all this out on the website, Mortgage MBS Quote Line. So www.mbsquoteline.com. And uh, stay up on what's happening. We're going to be right back with Paul Mala, who's dialed in. Good to have him. I see he's working today. We're going to be right back with Paul in just a minute, right after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteline delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com MBSQuoteLine.com 
646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. Good to have you with us, everybody, and even better, it's as good to have you with us as it is to have Paul Malo joining us. Paul is working today. Good to have you with us, Paul. Thank you, David. Someone's got to work, right? Mark? Yeah, we all got to work. Dan, you have kids in college, so you off to work I go. You should say, you know, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. So I said, got kids in college, so off to work we go. So anyway, it's good to have you with us. Looking at your website, first article John Bancroft put on here, top five GSE sellers finally post a market share gain. What's going on, my friend? Well, uh, well, it's a gain. <laughs> That's the news. Uh, you know, the, the measurement for the top five is 30.3% of, you know, loans sold to uh, the GSEs. you got to go back and look. Back in 2008, the top five accounted for 60%. So now it's down to 30%. You know, that's half of what it was, uh, you know, just as the market was crashing. Uh, it's a slight increase, and, and I, we just threw that out there because, you know, we don't think it's a sea change by any means, but it might show that, the you know, the top five and, and four of the five of the mega banks, you know, Wells and, and JPM, the only non-bank in that list is Quicken. Uh, you know, maybe maybe the bleeding uh, of market share has, shall we say, sort of, um, you know, leveled bottom. off and is, yeah, yeah. hit a bottom and, and it's going to stay in that range. It, it's possible. Uh, you know, everyone knows the, the other big story for the for the banks is what they're going to do in FHA because right. they're all screaming that they're tired again, hammered for you know loan defects and getting sued and and you know the triple damages under the False Claims Act and all that kind of stuff. So we'll see. We'll see where this goes. It's notable, so we uh, we'll put it out there today. Uh, another interesting story that popped up uh, sort of at the last minute. You know, we got wind of apparently a lot of mortgage firms are uh, monitoring their loan officers for, uh, among other things, rate locks. You know, I guess there's a school of thought that some of these rate locks are a little too uh, too short. <laughs> And I guess that can screw up your hedging. Uh, but there's other things. You know, loan officers are in demand, good ones are in demand, but it's, it's not a free ride. Uh, you have to, you know, you got to earn your keep, so to speak. And keep in mind, you know, a lot of lenders, uh, depending on, you know, how aggressive they are, they get, you know, there's, there's scorecards on their loan officers. Some some of these things are, you know, uh, codified in, in company uh, codes of conduct and, and to do things. Others are sort of uh, informal uh, monitoring, and it all depends on who the manager is in charge of the LOs. Um, so it's it's an interesting story. Uh, Mountain View put out a tally. They've, they're quite active in the uh, mortgage servicing rights sales space, along with Phoenix Capital and uh, Presswick and all the other companies, uh, Phoenix, uh, who's the other one? IMA, Interactive Mortgage Advisors. There's a handful of those companies. Mountain View put out their tally. They did $62.5 billion in MSR auctions through the first nine months. Uh, a year ago, that was about uh, half that. So that, that goes to show you just how red hot the MSR market is right now. Um, Ginny May has been pondering a stress test for its MBS issuers. Uh, that's sort of similar to what's going on over there at the banks. Uh, you know, we'll see what what the final component of that is. But it, for you know, the bottom line is for, you know, uh, the government's not making it any easier to be in the mortgage market. And it will be interesting to see what kind of a shakeout that causes, if any. Uh, we have a small story from George Brooks about a HUD, a HUD case having to do with the California Reinvestment Coalition. They sued HUD, challenging the department's denial of a fee waiver um, in a case having to do with Heckums and surviving spouses 
that are borrower that are not borrowers uh, on uh, reverse mortgages. That case, it's it's working its way through the courts, so we'll see where where that happens. In our short take section, we got some stuff about Auckland out there. Uh, Auckland continues to sell servicing rights and pay down on their senior debt. And but you know Auckland has been one of those cases we've been covering for you know closely for three years now. Uh, their stock price is still at eight bucks. Their their all time high was sixty bucks, and I know there's some investors that are speculating on that stock, and I know there's investors that are, you know, shorting the stock as well. And the big question is, you know, where do you go from an eight dollar stock that was one sixty? Uh, if this thing ever can get sold. You know how much of a bump are you going to see in that eight bucks a share? It's certainly not going to sixteen dollars a share. I'll tell you that. Um, but you know, there's a lot of speculation, and that's that's what happens in the stock market. The stock market is open today, by the way. I guess it's the bond market yeah. that's closed. Yes, the bonds so, are closed. That's right. Yeah, and, and also some other things about um, loan, non-performing loan sales with the GSEs. And uh, a short note about Clayton, apparently, which is owned by Radian, bought Value America. It's a Pittsburgh-based. A title and appraisal management company. So it's interesting to see them expanding. Clayton's a a widely known name that's been in the due diligence space for yes. several years. So that's yeah. all the uh, highlights. Yeah, Jeff Tennyson's the uh, COO over there, getting a chance to look forward to seeing him uh, in the in San Diego. But uh, one of the things interesting is the monitoring of loan officers. Uh, I think that's a really interesting story, and I wonder how much that has to do with TRID. First of all, we're looking at the potential of a rate hike by the feds if we have that and the sure. fact that we have trid which is elongating the process yeah it makes a lot of sense they're going to start monitoring loan officers that are just locking for too short a period of time and then the, you know you know how it is when you, you're right down at the table and who who is sharing on the loss or taking sharing in the hit when there's a market move and you're having to roll that loan uh it, it's the company and they try to roll as much as the loan officers so that's smart that they're doing that that's a good point but i think it's a signal to the loan officers loan officers listening in the group you're paying attention to that. You need to be pay attention and rethink your lock procedures. Great stuff, Paul. Good stuff. And I failed Thank to mention you. at the beginning of your segment that they can download and get this uh, blog that you prepare every day and uh, send out and keep updated throughout the day uh, by going to www.imfnews.com. And I encourage you to download. I keep this up all the time, folks, and my screen. And it has really got some great information. And it's those headlines. You know, it's nice to have pick out the phone and talk to someone and quote one of the headlines. I always like quoting Paul. He's a great guy. Paul, thanks so much for working today for being there and uh, being a part of the broadcast. Appreciate it very much, my friend. Have a great rest of the week, and I look forward to hopefully seeing you in San Diego. All right, man. Have a good one. Thanks. You bet. Thank you. Let's get over to uh, Alice Alvey. It's always fun to have Alice on the broadcast and give us an update. What's going on as it relates to uh, compliance, regulation, training, manuals, whatever you want. Man, if it's back office, it's Alice. So, Alice, here you are. Good to have you back. Hi, Dave. Well, um, I just want to cover a couple of things because I know uh, we always need a lot of time for the economists, right, to be able to Yes, yes. Looking forward to it. Also, yeah, everyone may have heard, you know, if you were getting your call to action emails last week, the House did pass uh, Bill 3192 to um, be able to potentially give us a four-month breathing room, you know, against any litigation related to TRID. And so now we have Senate Bill 1711, right? So now we, you need to 
push those buttons again. <laughs> Make sure you're getting your Mortgage Action Alliance call to action. It's so easy. Click here. Yeah. It goes straight to your senators because the president has said that he would veto this. And so what we need is a veto-proof majority, which we got in the House. So now we just need to keep working in the Senate to be able to get that. So easy clicks. If you didn't get that either from your state association or from the MBA, um, go out and look for that. Um, many of the state associations did forward it on as well. If you don't have it, uh, send me an email and I will get it to you. It's that easy. Or sign up at the MBA for the Mortgage Action Alliance piece of cakes to do from their website. Uh, so I think it would be great to be able to have that extra layer of assurance underneath us to be able to get that formally that we don't have that shadow hanging over us for uh, potential litigation related to TRIP. So the clients that we are working with and other folks that we talked to last week in our first week of TRID survival, you know, and the first loan estimates are going out, definitely many companies had small issues. Um, I was talking to one of our consultants here who was out at the shop last week and said, you know, it's just little things, but you've got to be careful, right? There's blanks for homeowners insurance, blank, or, you know, the time zone not getting filled in, little things like that where you're staff seemed to do everything right, but the form still didn't generate right. Certainly, there were plenty of companies out there who didn't get them out exactly accurate and or had to have double layers in place to get them to work, but not the um, storm, I think, that a lot of folks might have expected, so the preparation paid off. Now, I think we are definitely in for something different as the closings come near, but so far, the LE um, has been going off with, you know, a little stress, but not uh, anything monumental from any shop that we've heard. Um, the other thing I want to make sure that uh, folks noticed, um, Buckley Sandler had a write-up about, and this was a little over a week ago, about the sentencing from a case that we've been watching over time, a big fraud case out of Florida, stems from loans back in 2006 and 2008. You would think those are done, but they're not, right? Now they're drilling down to the people level. So this was a case that came up about a year ago. The indictments were last summer um, in July of this year. The group pled guilty. And so I wanted to bring to the table, folks, fraud is still, even today, still out there. When you read this, it really reminds you about the role of processor plays. So the verbiage in this is that the processor became liable because they knowingly submitted documents to the underwriter even if the processor didn't actually change documents. Now, in this case, the processor covered up a header uh, from a fax header. So, you know, any kind of alteration, you may think, well, I'm not altering the main documents, right? I'm doing something else, but changing anything and then knowingly being a part of moving paper to an underwriter makes you guilty. So loan officers, processors, just a heads up. You know, it's not did you touch the form, but you moved the form to the underwriter knowingly that they may make an incorrect decision. Uh, so I think just a heads up for folks that this case is now sentencing done, lots of people going to prison with multi-million dollar fines, um, that it is still real and something to pay attention to out there. Uh, lots of stuff going on in terms of, um, you know, how they alter documents. So an interesting case to brush back up on your fraud detection skills. Um, so that's my uh, report for today, Dave, and I'll turn it back to you. Good stuff. Excellent. Yeah, there's just, you know, it's interesting. To, it'll be real interesting to see if, if uh, Obama actually vetoes this one because that is just, uh, we need the reprieve. There's a lot of effort, as everyone's gone to, to try to be compliant to uh, TRID, but, I mean, uh, some grace and mercy would be greatly appreciated and take some stress out of this. So we'll have to see what happens. Good to yeah. have you with us, Alice.
appreciate it so much. We're going to be right back. I hope we're trying to get a hold, get Sam Garcia to dial back into the broadcast. Uh, he he says he's dialed in, but I cannot get him on the switchboard. So hopefully Sam will be with us by the time we get back from this ad break. We'll be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. It's good to have you back with us, everybody. Uh, Sam's trying to dial in. I'm getting emails back from him, but for whatever reasons, we're just not getting him connected to the switchboards. Uh, Sam, if you can make it in, it'd be great. Uh, I encourage you to check out, again, the Mortgage Daily website. It's excellent. It is one of those... uh, Another one of those areas that contains a lot of great information, what's going on in the marketplace. Ah, there's Sam. It looks like he made it in after all. Let's see if we can get them. Sam, good to see that you made it in finally. Man, that would sound like a little struggle here today, getting you connected. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. I'm, I actually came here to California earlier, so it's a, it's a strange number, and I realize you didn't recognize it, but uh, That's I'm here what it is. For the oh, conference, so you know, and I figured, yeah. figured, hey, let's get here early and enjoy some of this California weather, which is supposed to be cooler. But guess what? Yeah. Same thing again. It's hot, and then get any cooler than it was in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to have you on with us. Give us a rundown of some of the headlines that you're tracking here, and then I want to talk about some of the data that's available on the website. Go for it. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have uh, everything written up for us today, but. Uh, I'm just going to kind of cover some of the headlines that I can see right off the top. Uh, first thing is uh, both uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac noted some uh, sales last week. Um, Freddie Mac said that it closed on the sale of uh, more than $300 million in distressed residential loans that it had in its uh, investment portfolio. And on the same day, uh, Fannie Mae said that it actually had a, a, a more than a billion dollars in distressed loans up for sale. So uh, I always like to keep an eye on the secondary market and what's going on. And it's been yeah. generally pretty strong lately, so it's always good news. Um, our mortgage, mortgage market index, which we, uh, of course, put together based on data from open close and, and the average per-user pricing uh, locks that they uh, generate, um, it indicated that mortgage activity last last week was, was up just a little bit um, from the week before, um, and what we saw was that the refinance activity kind of picked up a good deal, uh, and that was really a result of we saw some rates that came uh, way down, and that generated some mortgage, uh, you know, uh, rate locks as a result. Um, and it's interesting because the Mortgage Bankers Association last week, you know, they reported their applications were up quite a bit, and and you know, even though our rate locks weren't up in this report for last week, we saw that the difference was because uh, they'd indicated that. A lot of people rush to put in applications ahead of TRID uh, to basically be in, uh, you know, under the old guidelines before the new disclosures took effect. So um, that was kind of interesting that that had happened yeah. there. Um, let's see. Uh, we we basically uh, we had another uh, secondary offering that came out last week. Um, this one was for about 145 million, and it was for 
also distressed loans, uh, REOs included, and that was announced by Mountain View Capital. So, uh, you know, just another transaction uh, that we saw happening out there. Uh, we, we put out a, a story, actually. It was a uh, article written by Hillary Clinton about um, what, what she would do differently to avoid a financial crisis as president. Um, and, you know, the gist of the article was tougher regulation and come down harder on some of the individuals that were involved in the <laughs> – so it's, I, I thought the industry, it's like, industry oh would be interesting. More that. regulation. Dear God. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly excuse me. That, exactly. I try to keep out of the politics with this broadcast, but that comment, by, I read that article, and, and it was great that you posted it, but I'm going, yeah, that's her solution, more regulation. Right. Yeah. Holy. And I didn't Beltway. hear if uh, – I didn't hear if Paul mentioned it, but, uh, of course, Loan Depot announced that they're going to do uh, – they've got an IPO planned. Uh, they didn't list yeah. the amounts on there. But, uh, you know, they uh, did indicate they're going to go for an IPO, of course, which is a huge transition from a private company to a publicly trading company yeah. where you have to disclose information. One of the bits of information we culled from the SEC filing uh, was uh, the CEO, Anthony Say, who uh, yeah. earned 1.8 million last year in compensation? Um, so if those are the kind of things, of course, you get from those SEC filings. And then close yeah. behind him was David Norris, the president and chief operating officer, who earned 1.7 million in total compensation. So, yeah. And uh, those those are some of the highlights from our last week. But uh, appreciate the opportunity, and I hope to see you next uh, week at the yes. conference. Enjoy enjoy the warm California. Don't drink too much water out there. They're they're really gardening every everything that that's going out there. So I think they put a meter in all the hotel rooms now. It's it's really serious out there, but it's nice and it is gorgeous. San Diego. Look forward to joining you. I've got to go out to Philadelphia before I can make it to back there. So going the other direction initially this week, and then looking forward to being out there on Sunday. It'll be a great conference. Thanks so much for dialing in. Sorry that I didn't see that. Recognize your number earlier, but it's good to have you with us, Sam. Always a joy. In San Diego. Thank you, David. You Appreciate it. Thank good. you. Thank you. Profit Doctor. Always good to have the Profit Doctor in the house. And uh, Dave? He's certainly here. Good to have you here, my friend. Got it. Now, well, are you done with the accounting webinar? Are you all done with the accounting webinar at the NBA? Yes, we wrapped up our, our series, our fourth series uh, accounting webinar this past week on um, hedge accounting. So we, we wrapped that up. And then next so is. How the, many people? How many people fell asleep in the class, or how many people had their eyes rolling back? I know it's a, you dial in, but this would have been the advantage of having the uh, the video running alongside it, so you can look at the class and they're going, "Oh my gosh, what are you talking about, Mike?" So well, we had we had questions. We had questions throughout the presentation, so every once in a while, people had to look up and answer a question. But hopefully, it was it was uh, it was important because without this information. These accountants could be posting information that's incorrect to the financial statements, right. which then go up to the bank, which can also be then considered loan fraud. So it's a very, very weighty point. So it's it's important to do it right. <clears throat> you know, what? one quick side note, rabbit trail just off to the far left. Uh, you guys were just you, – you and Sam were just talking about the Loan Depot IPO, and I happened yeah. to be looking at Paul's website, and it's $100 million is the amount of the – what they yep. hope to raise in new capital, which will obviously boost them to like a billion five a month additional capacity. So it's substantial. So back to coming back over to the mainstream of what we're talking about, Dave. 
So we yes. talked about the conferences, talked about the next conference. I uh, wanted to wax philosophically, if I might, just for a, a minute or two, because I know we want to get straight to our special guest, Mark Fleming. But so if I do a tweet right now that Mark, yeah, so so if we're going to go into waxing, we can we can talk about you know you're you're going to be talking about waxing. Now. Sorry, that was. Go ahead. Yeah, so you wax <clears throat> That wasn't. There we go. Well, so Dave, let's think about this for a second. What I want for people to think about is sometimes challenge what you hear. Just because someone says it doesn't mean it's true. And just because someone says it and they say it very well still doesn't mean it's true. Like, for example, today's Columbus Day, and what are we celebrating? We're celebrating Columbus discovered America. Well, now wait. Hang on a second. America was already here, right? It was already occupied by people. The indigenous species happened to be very conquerable because as a nomadic environment, they didn't have the technology advancements that Europe had achieved. Because yeah, it takes a long time to walk halfway around the world. <clears throat> so just think about things sometimes. Think about, you know, like another. <clears throat> sorry, Dave. Another another interesting point is people say, well, you're an Indian giver, right? Because Columbus came over and right. discovered yeah. America, and, but the people that were living here, he called Indians because he thought he was in India because he thought he went to the West Indies. So I uh, called him Indians, and so that name stuck. And so then we 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 ended up with Indian givers being somebody that takes something back. But if you think about that, who was it that took stuff back? The government. Mm. The government entered yeah. into many, many treaties with the indigenous species, the Indians, and then changed their mind and moved the Indians again and again and eventually <clears throat> left them in Oklahoma. So who wouldn't want to be from Oklahoma? They just yeah, lost this sounds this like a theme, by the way, theme for another Oliver Texas. Stone movie here. <laughs> so so now here's the last point. I'm going to get to the point, Dave. I really am really fast here. All right. So did Columbus discover America? What's really an Indian giver? And when the CFPB says it will give you forbearance on TRID, do we believe that too? <laughs> there you go. So, I got the science. <laughs> very clever, Mr. Shaw. <laughs> that was very clever. <laughs> so, the point here is, you know, Know your source. When you talk to people, we're business executives. You're running around. You've got to solve problems. You've got to know how are we going to keep making money? How are we going to grow our business? How are we going to get more originators? And so we reach out occasionally to other people for advice. And so when you get advice from somebody on compliance or hedging or technology or accounting or vision or anything, just sit back for a second and don't just, don't just grab it and run. Think about That's it for great. a second. Know the source. <laughs> validate the basis. Peel the onion. How do they know what they just said? How do we know Mark knows anything about economics? Well, okay. Let's think about that. He's got a Ph.D. in economics from, where was it, Maryland? and uh, So he goes on and on. So just just because someone says it with conviction doesn't mean they're right. Just because they, they sound like they know what they're talking about doesn't mean that they do. So... Think about it. Don't just believe the loudest or the person that sounds good. Seek. The point here, the, the wax philosophically point to all this, Dave, is seek the why. Seek to understand the truth. Seek the why. Why do they know? How do they know? How do we get there? And there you go. That will help you, help you not be a bouncing yeah. ball as you run your business. We see many mortgage companies with management that, that's like a bouncing ball or, or a balloon that gets blown up and turned loose and let it go bouncing around. Or in a big organization, you get a water, you get like an air compressor take and knock the end of it off, and it bounces around the room. Very yeah. dangerous. So, you know, slow down, take your time, have a plan, have a focus, know where you're going to go, how you're going to get there, and get advisors that know what they're talking about. Because 
you validated them. There you go, Dave. I'm done. Right. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> What's going? And I was going. Okay, I got to see where he's going with this. And, and then finally, brought around. Trid is uh, the government's going to give us t- time and space. Yeah, believe them like uh, the Indians believed. Uh, the, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, we could go on and on about that. Good. <laughs> you tied it together well, there, Prophet Doctor. Good to have you here with us, folks. We're going to be right back with Mark Fleming, Fleming, the chief economist for First American Financial, and he'll be right back after this brief break. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from past efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 Combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Good to have you back with us, everybody. For those of you that have downloaded in advance to this part of the broadcast, we have with us as our special guest, Mark Fleming, who serves as the Chief Economist for First American Financial Corporation, a leading provider of title insurance, settlement services, and risk solutions for the real estate transaction that traces back to 18. 89. Talk about going back to the good old days. That was back in the wild. That's, I didn't know that many of the companies in this industry have been around that long. But anyway, he leads an economics team responsible for analysis and commentary and forecasting trends in the real estate and mortgage markets. Mark is a regular guest on Fox. He and I have been on together, Fox Business. He's on with CBS Evening News, CNBC. I think we've pretty much been on a lot of the same networks and stuff together. He's someone that I really have come to respect. I followed him before I got to know them, him, and uh, he, I'm just really impressed with the way he writes about it and his passion about um, the housing industry. And, of course, it lines with his employer, but it's very genuine. He pays close attention to it. He was in attendance at the American Catalyst event this year and uh, had a chance to sit down with he and Doug Duncan. My favorite quote from that dinner was, I said, man, I'm feeling smarter already. I'm sitting with two Ph.D. chief economist, to which Doug Duncan responded, great, two economists, you'll get at least four opinions. It was so funny, Doug's sense of humor. But the warmth and the, uh, the the knowledge that comes out of Mark is just one of those things. I encourage you to get to know him. Check out the uh, the first his bio, full bio in the First American. Uh, but he does have a graduate uh, from Swarmoth, Swarmar, Swath, Swarmoth, Moore. <laughs> College BNC, I go tell you, I'm struggling with that every time I do that. But anyway, it, he also has a graduate with a master's in science and doctorate in agriculture and resource economics and um, from University of Maryland. So good to have you with us, Mark. I appreciate that. 
Swarmore. Thank you, David. Swarmore. Swarmore. i got to get that down. Swarmore. That's one of those ones. Swarmore. <laughs> see, if you hear it enough times, it'll do it. But see, if you start off by repeating it bad, then it just gets you in trouble. It's good to have you on the broadcast, and it's, it's a real honor. And I have been following things that you've been writing a lot longer than I've had the privilege of knowing you. And then I listen to your commentary and the insights you have when you and I have been on, or when you've been on uh, the major news networks. And I, I'm always impressed with the content. And and the, one of the things is you have a way of saying so much with so little. So it's the thoughtfulness that goes into it, but also the thing that we really resonate together on many things we agree on about the market is, is the, the passion for housing, first-time housing. I can't wait to talk about it. In fact, before we go there, you have an event coming up in Washington, D.C., and I, I want to get that out on the first part of the broadcast and encourage people to go to it. I've been at this event in years past, and it is really, really event. But if you could talk briefly about that, the event that you got coming up at the end of this month in D.C.? Sure. So it's on October 27th. It's going to be held um, at lunchtime at the Rayburn House Office Buildings here in Washington. And the title of the uh, lunchtime event is Achieving the American Dream, Homeownership, Economic Mobility, and the Challenges Facing the Nation's Latino and African-American Communities. Um, we... Our big believers, obviously, in housing, I and mean, luckily for us, it's uh, one of those things that everybody needs. And uh, even after all that's happened in the housing market over the last 10 years, America's aspirational wish to be a homeowner transcends yeah. party lines. And so heading into the political debate right now, we want to highlight the importance of homeownership, and in particularly uh, with the Latino and African-American communities, you know, the minority uh, minorities will be the collective majority within the next 20 to 25 years. We need to find ways to um, aspire and create access to home ownership for all people in America. That is, that's uh, a great noble cause, and I agree with you. I mean, if you look at the, the, where the housing market is going, we're going to get into that in a minute. Um, after I'm, I've got a few questions for you, and then I'm going to toss the mic over to Andy, and then we're going to get off to Alice. Uh, Andy, Joe is not here, so I'm going to have you take some of the questions I assigned off to Joe, if you wouldn't mind. But let's get into where the how the economy's doing. How would you characterize, Mark, our economy? Is it good, healthy? Um, I think a lot of it happens to do with your perspective. Uh, you know, I was sort of tell the economics joke about the physicist, the mathematician, and the economist go in to a job interview, and the interviewer asks the physicist or the mathematician, what's one plus one? He says it's two. The physicist says, you know, relativity theory aside, it's two. The economist goes in, gets asked the same question. He gets up. He goes behind the interviewer. He darkens the room, closes the blinds. He leans over, and he says, well, what do you want it to be? <laughs> right? And the, the point is with economics and to Andy's point about knowing the source, like we can come up with a lot of different numbers. You know, the headlines that everyone focuses on, obviously, is GDP, you know, the amount of production output that is created in dollar terms. And the truth of the matter is our GDP output is actually doing quite well. We're not a fast-growing economy anymore like we used to be. Our productivity is right. slower than before. Our job, our labor force growth is slower. And so the expectation of 4% growth, for example, as some have proposed, um, isn't really that realistic given the economy of today. If you're in the labor market, though, obviously, and the common person, I think, feels things very differently in terms of the measurement of a lack of income growth. And that's really more broadly being caused by issues of productivity and really the transition um, economically away from manufacturing to um, 
uh, service-based jobs to creative jobs to uh, the influence of capital and robotics and automation, sort of increasing the need for what kinds of skills you need to be successful in today's economy. So true. Andy, I'll toss it over to you. Okay, well, hey, Mark, thanks for being on the show. Sure. So I'm... You know, uh, Dave's a musician. I'm a musician. I'm a drummer. Dave's a singer. We have our own band, and so I'm gonna do a drum roll because here's the question. Ready? When will the Fed raise rates? I'm gonna write this down. When will the Fed raise rates? Is there a meeting in January? I think there's a meeting in January, right? Uh, the beginning of next yeah. year. I think they won't do it this year. We were, if they were going to have done it, it would have been in September. The fact that we still have way below target uh, inflation caused by slowdown in global economics um, and the uh, falling of commodity prices, that's all reducing inflation in this country, particularly energy price deflation or uh, lack of inflation, that they're much less likely to do it now. Of course, uh, this is – I'll borrow a joke from Doug Duncan, which I really like. They said, you know, if you're going to do economic forecasting, just don't look surprised when you get it right. <laughs> so but it's a bit hard to do over the radio, but somehow or another, I'm going to pretend that I knew exactly what I was saying when I get it when I get it right in January. But we'll see. So I'm betting on early next year. But here's the broader point: it certainly can't go the other way. Um, no. <laughs> and re- re- realistically, it's a pretty safe bet that we should raise rates. It's kind of unnatural, shall we say, to keep things here even for this long. We're creating. Lots of distortions in the economy because of the extremely low, low rates, one of which actually is in the housing market. I mean, this is, um, this is creating asset inflation in house prices. You can stimulate demand and increase the growth in house prices by basically allowing people to leverage at such low rates. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why we've seen uh, faster than income growth-based house price appreciation is because we're basically, you know, but, you know, pumping the stimulus into the asset class with keeping the rates lo- rate so low. So I sometimes jokingly argue, actually not jokingly, I should seriously argue this, that one of the best things that could happen for the housing market is increasing rates. Wow. Well, that certainly sounds counterintuitive, but I understand where you're going. And what you were just saying could lead to a much longer conversation because it almost kind of bounces against the bubble again. But before mm-hmm. we go there, I'm curious, you know, we've had these low rates for so long, and you've had you're just talking about the house appreciation rates. So well, what are more of what other aspects of impact are there from having these low rates, historically amazingly low rates for such a long period of time? Well, it's, I mean, it's a, a complex dance between fiscal and monetary policy. Fiscal policy is managed by Congress and the administration. Monetary policy, really the purview of the Fed. And so in, uh, when you're trying to stimulate economic activity, the so-called activity on Main Street versus Wall Street, uh, fiscal policy does a much better job of doing that. It's much more direct. It's much more capable. So stimulating the economy through um, changing tax codes and uh, reducing rates and giving people more money to consume and all the things that we did a little bit of coming out of the depths of the recession but haven't really done a lot of major fiscal policy um, would be much more directive at improving growth in the economy versus monetary policy, which is basically what the Fed's been doing is trying really hard to stimulate Main Street 
through monetary policy, but on the way to doing that, monetary policy is much more directly influencing financial markets. And so what we've seen is lots of inflation in financial markets. The stock market's done really well. Corporate earnings have done really well. All of these things have done well sort of on the financial side of the economy. And not a lot or not as much as maybe they had wished sort of would pass through to to the main street side of things. And so you know, it, we would have wished, and I think Yellen and Bernanke before him have sort of made comments to the effect of we really wish there would there would be more fiscal policy or uh, fiscal stimulus created um, economically. But um, in, with a lack of that, then the Fed has stepped in and done what it what it could with the monetary policy tools that it has. Uh, but the end result is um, asset price inflation in some of these areas, housing, stock market, for example. Well, there you go, asset price inflation in housing. So. Dave, do you want me to mm-hmm. keep asking questions or? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, keep going. Okay, okay. So talking about the housing and asset price inflation, and so, so the, what is that? I mean, we, we talk about a bubble. We say that there is one. There's not one. Who knows? Um, how, how do you assess the state of the housing market now? Sure. So economists like to look at things in terms of prices and. Uh, so I'll start with what the economist view is, and then we'll go to there are other certain constituencies, obviously, that have different perspectives. Um, and house price space, uh, well, after the corrections occurred, there are many markets now that have actually exceeded their pre-crisis uh, highs and are continuing to grow even beyond those points right now. Certainly some of the hardest hit markets you talk about, like the Las Vegases, the Central Valleys of California, parts of Florida um, that had such big collapses uh, have still not yet fully recovered, although I think you know their normals were, should never have been that high in the first place. So there has been a lot of recovery in the housing market in terms of prices. Maybe the best analogy one could use is you know we were uh, on death's door, we were on the uh, on the surgery table in the emergency room, you know maybe about to die a few, number of years ago, and we've we've come out of the emergency room, we're out of ICU, but we're still in the hospital. And it's not like we've been, or maybe we're outpatients now. We're still getting treatments. So it's not all perfect everywhere, or not all better everywhere, we should say. But then there are other elements, for example, in home sales. And you know, people often lament not enough home sales. Well, the truth of the matter is we should be running right around 6 million existing home sales a year right now based upon the fundamentals in the marketplace today. And uh, we're at about 5.3 to 5.5, depending upon what month you look at in terms of NAR's numbers. So there is a gap there, but again, things are also improving there. I like to look at the combination of transactional activity, that gap, and house prices. And in terms of transactional activity, I think we're in very, very good shape, certainly approaching that steady state or that equilibrium fundamental level of 6 million. But in price space, I see it's not a problem yet, but if we have consistent house price growth exceeding income growth, that eventually has to become an affordability problem. To be clear, I'm not right. saying we have an affordability problem now. In fact, housing is still much more affordable than it was even under normal times in the early 2000s. But this can't persist indefinitely like this. Okay, yeah, so just some clear. Yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I think you're, you and I are probably going the same place. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so, so just so I'm, I'm clear, it's sounding like that uh, there's still you're not worried about house price house price appreciation yet, that because partly because there's still uh, more sales activity that should be taking place, and when you look at 
price appreciation versus income appreciation yeah. is not out of equilibrium yet, at least not something that you're worried about, and you have a bit of a, a hybrid model that you apply to help you reach some of your conclusions, but at the end of the day, you're not worried yet about house prices. So I guess that's a good thing, right? Yeah, I mean, so yeah, house prices they are they are uh, outpacing uh, income growth at the moment, but the trajectory is towards income growth, right? So they're not getting hotter; they're cooling down. Or to say it another way, it's tricky. People forget. I mean, often people talk about bubbles, and they look at you know, well, if the market has appreciated by twenty percent on a year-over-year basis, it clearly must be a bubble. To which I say, well, twenty percent on zero isn't is still not that much, right? It's not about the change; it's around. It's about the level. Another way to, I kind of talk yeah. about the dynamics of house prices. Uh, it's not like a Maserati; it's more like a semi truck, right? When you hit the foot on the gas, you know, it takes a while for it to pick up steam, and it starts to pick up steam, heading, heading, getting faster and faster. And a semi truck, you put your foot on the brake; it takes a while to slow down. You know, it doesn't turn on a dime like a Maserati. What's happening right now, to use that analogy, is Basically, the foot is on the brake, but we're still going forward. So it was a 6% appreciation rate, then 5 Now it's sort of expected to sort of slow next year to about 4 and then down to maybe 3 and income growth will begin to pick up, and that gap will close. So sort of that dynamic of playing, of the sort of returning to equilibrium uh, is in play at the moment. As long as that's happening, we're good to go, of course. What you found in the past was when you sort of get that runaway, that runaway tractor trailer, bad things happen, right? We don't see that in the future. This is great. Well, back to you, Dave. I was just going to say, though, to the listeners, this is great stuff. If you're an originator, yes. write some of these points down because it's a great way of communicating points, and it'll make you sound really smart when you talk to your customers. Yeah. If you, you know, of course, I talk about great. all this HPI stuff. I, uh, I called the bottom for house prices three times. So know your source to Andy's point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is as much science. I mean, it's an art as much as the science. You start looking at that. There's so many dynamics. I want to go back to the rate issue, and then I'm going to toss the mic to uh, Alice here. Alice, get ready. Get get all teed up here. Uh, in other words, get your mute mute button off. <laughs> the 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 thing <laughs> the thing that I want to go to for briefly is about rates. Is there? I'm looking at. The Fed, I'm really in the in the quandary. I think the Feds almost are enforced to to do another round of quantitative easing. You look at China's doing another round of quantitative easing. You look at the European Central Bank is doing another round of quantitative easing. Aren't we almost forced to, for monetary for our own dollar to preserve our dollar to the value of the dollar in the market to the world trading aspects to to do something to stimulate? I agree with your comments. We shouldn't. That's not the right thing to do. Everything you're saying, but aren't we going to be forced to into doing that to do something with monetary policy to support the dollar? Well, I mean, that's ultimately obviously a question for Janet and the Fed, but, I mean, you're right on the point that uh, we don't operate in a geographic bubble. The United States is not a closed economy. We operate in part of the world economy, and so – you now have maybe 50 or 75 years ago, you know, we could operate autonomously and the rest of the world would just sort of have to deal with, you know, what we've done. Now it's very different. Certainly trading partners such as China and Europe uh, exert influence on us through the, the currency exchanges of the dollar. So, right. yeah, there's, I think that's certainly, 
one of the reasons why the decision to delay was made in September, I mean, some of the comments, sort of global uncertainty in these issues with sort of the relative strength of the dollar to other economies are important to the Fed. And so um, it's got to be one of the most thankless and toughest jobs out there to manage American monetary policy when you're influenced and influencing many other economies in the world today. Um, yeah, more, more broadly, when you're at zero, then it's, there's really not much else to do but quantitative, quantitative easing. Well, that's, it would have been nice to be a few a point or so above, and then you'd have somewhere to yeah. go with before you had to hit QE. Yeah, exactly right. So it's, it's it's a fascinating discussion. I just want to get your thoughts on that. It's I just can't get enough of listening to this kind of stuff. Alice, let's go over to you. Thanks, Dave. Hey, welcome to the show here. I have, a, I'm going to go back to kind of where I was with uh, our last economist that was on the call, and that's kind of talking about the credit availability, right? So do you factor this in at all? We've heard, we've talked a lot about housing so far, but what about credit becoming more available Do you or less available? What's your, uh, what are your thoughts on that and how that might impact this overall picture? Sure. So we do believe that, um, Part of the gap between the actual amount of existing home sales today and what our models are saying the level should be, which is a couple hundred thousand annualized home sales, uh, there's a number of reasons why, and one of them we certainly believe is credit availability. It's uh, the challenge of ha- access to credit um, is certainly there, particularly in the non-white um, ethnic minority groups. Um, that's not to say that the headline numbers, uh, so again, to Andy's thing, sort of know, know your sauce, source, when we talk about home ownership rates, for example, between uh, Hispanics and whites, well, the white home ownership rate is over 70% and the Hispanic home ownership rate is below 50%. And so there's a huge gap. And we all leap to the conclusion and say, well, you know, that there's all this access to credit problems, right? Well, that's true. There probably is an element of that. But do you know what the average age of a Hispanic person is? It's about 25. The average age of a white person in the United States is 43. Well, that alone, I mean, young people tend not to buy homes, and when you're older, you tend to be a homeowner. So that could explain part of that gap. Uh, There's a lot of things going on that are out there. That's not to discount the importance of access to credit. Most of the surveys, uh, MBA, Urban Institute, American Enterprise Institute, they all put out sort of indices of the availability of credit, are showing sort of a tendency towards easing, um, easing from the truck from the tightest point a couple of years ago. So is credit more available today than it was three years ago? Yes. Is credit as available today as it was in 2005? No. But I think is that's actually a good thing. Yeah, so do you consider it to be a critical factor then in the analysis of where you think this is uh, where you think the economy is going? It sounds like you play it a little bit less than perhaps where, you know, uh the MBA economists may. I don't believe it's a the sole source and critical factor that explains a lot of these things. If you think about um you know, often people talk about, well, first time home buyers, the challenge is to is to gather a down payment. Um, yes, and how is that any different than it's been the last 30 years? Right, right. And, right? and oh, by the way, we have first-time home buyer loan programs that allow you to put 3 or 5% down through Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, that have been around consistently throughout the crisis. 
So the idea, the misnomer that you have to put 20% down has never been the case, nor has it, nor was it during the crisis. So briefly, I think the GSEs suspended their loan down payment, low down payment programs, but um, they've been around for most of the majority of the time. Now, is it a challenge for the first-time home buyer today to gather the three or the five? Yes, but it was a challenge for me as a first-time home buyer to gather three to five. No matter what the number is, it's going to be a challenge to do it. That's nothing new, and we all find ways to overcome it. Um, well, I think the nuances are more in ability to pay and the hard threshold of 43%. Well, I, I guess that's that's good news for folks because uh, the idea that people think we're headed down a slippery slope, if credit's loosening, you know, we're going to be right back. I mean, I've never bought into any of that uh, today because it just doesn't, it's nowhere near the same, especially with the regulatory environment we have. So uh, to me, that was a good news opinion. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I mean, I think you talk. We talk about regulation, and uh, but some of the the gov- I call it, you know, the governors. Like you put on a car so it doesn't go too fast. Right. A lot of the governors around some of the I used to call them financially innovative loan products. <laughs> um, you know, we can't do that kind of lending anymore. We it, we will bump into those hard lines in that box, and sort of we won't be allowed to go and make those sorts of um, uh, give people those kinds of loans. Uh, which I think creates a, a governor of safety and soundness around um, not being able to do an interest-only pay option arm with, you know, a sub-500 FICO and, you know, uh, you know, no money down, right? That won't happen anymore. And that's a good thing, I think. That's always been an unreasonable product. Yeah, no question. Alice, anything else? Well, I guess then just the compliance aspect of it, you know, the same kind of thing that is this, you know, now that we've gotten over some of these initial hurdles with the uh, Dodd-Frank Act, you know, being mostly implemented now as of this week and certainly a few short-term things, but uh, anything impacting this on the compliance from the long-term side? I mean, we have more costs, more overhead. Um, is that it's a factor within any of these uh, the economic forecasts for our industry? Right, absolutely. So, uh, Mike Frentoni and the MBA, they do uh, good studies of all of the costs of origination and servicing, and it's pretty clear when you go through that data that they produce that uh, costs have risen not only to originate but to service, and um, somewhere or another that cost is borne, whether it's um, directly absorbed by the lender in their profit margins, passed on to the consumer. Uh, there are a number of elements of that that, you know, it doesn't come free, so... Another way to say it is regulation is not costless. Um, And so the costs being borne probably through a mix of reduced profit margins and or consumer costs. So a priori, there are lots of things that move the mortgage rate, but, you know, this sort of additional slice of cost certainly is going to be borne in part by the consumer. There are certain types of loans, particularly low balance loans, that just become economically unprofitable to do. So there's, an, I think, a, an unintended consequence of, you know, lenders are stepping away from certain kinds of loan products and certain kinds of loan balances because there's just, you know, given the increased servicing and origination costs due to compliance, it's not worth doing it. Um, so it there are a number of those elements that are in there. I think we talked a lot about in the last few years um, the cost of uncertainty around the regulation. Well, now we have a lot more certainty of the regulation. We're really dealing with the brass tacks of the those costs of compliance and regulation. The no before you owe rule that uh, you know just came into place a week and a half or just you know, a week ago. Um, 
there we believe that that creates uh you know there are certainly economies to scale the larger you are as an underwriter or as a loan closing operation title agent loan closing operation right. the more you can co- spread those costs of compliance and so there are economies of scale benefits that will impact the market going forward that weren't there before having to work with your with a, uh, getting on approved lists with lenders these all are costs that have to be borne that will change sort of the competitive nature of the market and how many participants and create um, consolidation effects and things like that, much as as we've seen in the mortgage industry over the last few years in response to uh, regulatory and compliance burden. So is your impression that there is still some impression, still some uncertainty out there as we're, you know, we don't really have the second phase of that yet from a litigation standpoint, right, or enforcement standpoint. Um, is that still an overhang from this, or we're really we've got it down? We're a little more confident now, and, and that's not being factored in. Well, I think there is some of that there, uh, not as bad as it's been. I think we're sort of that phase of sort of the litigation risk is is fading away. Although there are some elements like the with the FHA loans and the uh, you mentioned you guys all mentioned it earlier the the uh, Civil War error. Um, Act that is being applied when you do an FHA loan and they don't like it, um, with treble damages and things like that. That that's, you know, that doesn't encourage participation in the marketplace, right? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And so there are elements of uncertainty around that and repurchases. But I think we're transitioning away from the sort of the legal aspects more to the really, okay, how do we get this done and what is this going to cost me and how do I figure out how to create a successful business model under this new paradigm? I'm looking at the clock, and, man, I can't believe how fast time flies when we get into these really interesting topics like this. i got one question as we get ready to exit, and then I want to make sure we mention Alice's webinar that she has coming up this Thursday on incomes. We'll talk about that. Alice, get ready to talk about that just briefly here at the end. But just macro, as you look at housing, and you look at home ownership, what is the prospect for the future, especially look at the demographic trends? Let's wrap it up with that, get mm-hmm. those comments. So, you know, sometimes I give presentations and we talk about all these things and, they, you know, everyone has that sour, sad look on their face like it's the end of the world. So I try to end on a high note, which simply goes a little bit like this. The uh, population of the United States is growing. Now, it might be growing in a different way than it did 50 years ago, but the fact of the matter is this population is growing, and that means more household formation and more people who need shelter, both rented and owned. And so the other thing is you can't export that away. You know, it has to be done here. It has to be provided here, and everybody needs it. We can't be Kodak film and get sort of surpassed by digital, right? So... Those long-run fundamentals of we will always need to house America and we will be needing to house more and more Americans over time means that the challenges are how to do it, not that whether or not we will be doing it. Um, and for that yeah. fact alone, it's good to be in this industry. Yes, we have issues we need to deal with, but what industry doesn't? Um, and at the end of the day, we're doing a good thing housing Americans and providing you know, access, hopefully, to the American dream through home ownership, which has huge benefits for everybody. Yeah, it does, and I'm very excited that you are as passionate as you are. I want to, again, remind everyone about your event coming up and what are the dates and how can they find learn more about it? What's the website? October 27th, uh, here in Washington, D.C., at the uh, House Rayburn Office Building. And if you go to the First American website, First Am- firstdam.com, 
there will be links yeah. up there where you can yeah. find information on RSVP. Mark, thank you so much for being here. We are going to have you back. I've really, especially you're comfortable about housing and all the dynamics, and, and, and First American is so vested in the outcome of that. So I'm so glad you're studying it, and we are definitely going to have you back. Thank you so much for uh, reaching out and, and, and being here with us, taking the time to be out here with us. So much appreciated. Thanks, David. It's been a pleasure. It has been for us as well. Alice, you've got to quickly, this before we go to the window here, I'm going to start the drums, but if you could tell us about the webinar that you have coming up on Thursday. Well, I had a typo. It's actually this Wednesday, October oh, it's 14th. this Wednesday. Three, yeah, this, day after tomorrow, 12 noon, 11 central, a webinar on income calculations, right? Everybody got level set. We're going to talk about some uh, important concepts as well as self-employed borrowers, and it's free. Have your team attend and free. eat lunch learn good 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 and that's uh, good so how can they learn about it again where, where should they go they can go to actually um is that funny uh go to mortgage-u.com or email me alice.alvi at indicom.net and i will make sure that you get registered good deal thank you so much everybody for being a part of the broadcast and we appreciate mark fleming taking the time out of his busy day to join us if you want to learn more about the guests that we have coming up check out the website at www.lickitonlending, L-Y-K-K-E-N, onlending.com. Good to have you with us, everybody. Have a great rest of the week. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin, of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Quoline, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening.